0: Excellent. Welcome. Welcome, Potter some Blackwells. We are so grateful that you would join our church family. God has been gracious to us as a church, and we are looking forward to to God bringing even more people like you guys. I'm, I'm jealous of the gifts that you are bringing to the body of Christ and look forward to seeing your gifts employed. Um, welcome to everybody else. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. Um, we are continuing in our study in the letter to the Corinthians. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If When you came through the doors, hopefully you got a little cup of, uh, of juice with a little wafer on top. That This is our, right now at least, our way of partaking in communion together, which we're going to do at the end of the service. So if you didn't get one, can I just ask the ushers to look around for a second? If you did not get one, raise your hand right now, and there's some in the back right there. Excellent. Some right here as well. Um, if you can start to distribute there. So in the middle here, in the back, um, get some folks some, some communion wafer cups. Um, I, I know it doesn't seem like bread, but it really is Bread. And we're going to share in, in breaking that bread open later on. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. We'll be reading verses 14 to 22, just a short passage. This is really part two, follow on from last week about idolatry. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, reading verses 14 to 22. This is God's holy inspired word for us today. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us reasons why we should flee idolatry. Lord, thank you for giving us your word to equip us to, to change our thinking. God, God, we confess that in so many ways our thinking has become accustomed to the world around us. In so many ways the, the world around us has infiltrated our thinking. God, I pray that, Lord, even now that your Holy Spirit through your word would break through those ways that we've become accustomed to the world that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our hearts, that you would help us see those areas where we've become complacent. Lord, I I pray that you would help us see as well the the areas where we've forgotten the gift that we have in Christ. God, I pray this by your Holy Spirit, would you empower each and every one of us to, to hear your word and to respond to your word and for me to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week... Most of us celebrated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the biggest holiday in the United States. It's the largest travel day because people want to go and be with others who are important with them. They want to celebrate a meal. They want to make connections with family and friends who are near and dear to them. So a lot of people here, they either celebrate with family or friends, and for some, it might have been painful for you. It might have been difficult or lonely because you couldn't celebrate. You couldn't participate together with your family, you couldn't participate together with friends for whatever reason. For some it was because you were distant, and you couldn't travel. For others because you know your family, your friends were participating with their family and their friends, and so you were left by yourself. For others, you like being in a small little unit together as your family, you like participating with just those closest to you. Some preferred just to do that to avoid the drama. Because as much as we love participating together with our friends and family, there's always drama, even if it's minor. But for most, Thanksgiving is important because we we realize that sharing a meal together, participating in a meal together, it's important. It it makes connections, it forms bonds, it, it rekindles bonds of friendship, it, it it strengthens the bonds of family, or at least it has a possibility of doing those things. Hopefully, for most of you, it didn't weaken any bonds. But participating in a family meal is sharing. With family. It's sharing with friends. It may seem small, but, but meals together, they're ways of us establishing connections with other people. And I think you know that because that's why we have this draw, this desire to, to participate together in these rituals, in these celebrations, because we know that it builds connections, it builds bonds. And this is not a new thing, it's not an American thing, it's not even a Western thing. And in fact, that's actually kind of part of the argumentation that Paul, the apostle, he's making. We didn't plan it that way. That's right after Thanksgiving. We talk about eating with pagans, which many of us probably did, right? But he's talking about eating with pagans in honor of pagan idols. And so, because he's saying that that who you eat with, participating together with other people, sharing together with other people, it's important. Often in that day, business connections were made over meals, they would eat meals in temples because that's the place that, that business was conducted. They would, they would have guilds that they belonged to. And as they belonged to these different guilds, these guilds, they would gather together and they would, they would eat a meal. But most of the places to eat meals was in the context of these temples to pagan idols. And so they would sacrifice meat to pagan idols. And the Corinthians, they, the people in the church thought nothing of it because they knew that an idol really isn't, doesn't mean anything. A physical idol isn't meaningful. The unbelievers, they made a sacrifice to an idol because they thought it would get them something. They sacrificed an idol because they thought, hey, let's appease the God of war, let's appease the God of commerce, let's appease the God of, of the sea, or whatever it might be, and so they would make sacrifices to these various idols hoping to appease them, hoping to get something from them. Most of us today, we don't struggle with appeasing physical idols. But we do, we make sacrifices to idols all the time, don't we? We make sacrifices to get other people to like us because we feel like that will get us something. We make sacrifices to make a lot of money because we feel like that will get us something. We make sacrifices to become famous or well-known. We make sacrifices to have the life around us that we think will make us comfortable and safe and secure. And in a way, we're sacrificing to idols when we do those things. And so Paul, he's got some serious words. The Holy Spirit has some serious words for the church then and for us and the church today. He wanted them to know that what they participated in, what they sacrificed for, it was important. It meant something. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't minor. They were underestimating. They were underestimating their ability to participate in idolatry and not be affected. And they were also underestimating their participation in the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, he explains why they shouldn't even entertain idolatry. And so he starts off this passage, he says, flee idolatry. Now for most of us, we can be comfortable around idolatry. And Paul says, no, don't, don't be comfortable around idolatry. Flee it. Have the attitude, have the mindset where you want nothing to do with it. This is really the main thing that we see in the passage is that, that flee entertaining idolatry. Even flee entertaining idolatry because, because you are Beloved. That's how he refers to them. He, Paul, he opens up the passage, look down in verse 14, he refers to them. He, he tells them, flee idolatry, and then he calls them something. He says, My beloved. They, they weren't just beloved by Paul, though. They were beloved by Paul because they were beloved by God. They've been brought into the family, they've been brought into community, they've been brought into being a part of God's people. They are beloved, so he tells his beloved, flee idolatry. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He's not one of the people, those kinds of people you have to wonder, what did Paul think about? Maybe you had a family member at, at Thanksgiving that you were hoping wouldn't be one of those kinds of people, that wouldn't just say what they thought, that wouldn't just share their, their perspectives on everything. Or maybe you were that person that other people were hoping, hey, could you just not say exactly what you think? But Paul, he, he does that here, but not because he's mean. He does that because he loves them and he's motivated by love because he wants them to avoid the trap of idolatry. And, and the first thing that he shows to them is he gives them some logic. He says, flee idolatry. And then he launches into this explanation about communion. You might think, what in the world does that have to do with fleeing idolatry? And for Paul, he's trying to get them to see that it's actually the motivation, their shared meal with Christ is a form of motivation to keep them from idolatry. And that's what he's trying to say. He says, I'm speaking to sensible people. I want you to think through the implications, the ramifications of what we have, what it means to share and participate together in a meal. And so he says, Flee entertaining idolatry because we share communion. With Christ in his body. That's the the first kind of logic that Paul unpacks here in these verses is that flee entertaining idolatry because we share in communion with God, with Christ, and his body both. And so he says flee idolatry and gives us a motivation for that. He wants them to have nothing to do with it, he wants them to see how toxic it is by seeing the closeness of relationship they have with Christ first, she tells them to flee. You know, you know, back in, in March 11, 2011, there was a disaster that happened. There was an earthquake. I can't remember, the Tohoku earthquake, and it is shut down the power in a plant in, in Fukushima Daiichi Nuclear Power Plant in Okuma in Japan. And, and it shut down the power in the plant, and, and that's not a big problem in most nuclear power plants because they have backup generators. So the backup generators, they kicked on And they provided electricity that would circulate the cooling fluid that would keep the nuclear cores from from reacting and and overheating. But then the problem is is that that earthquake, it caused something else. It caused a tsunami. And that tsunami sent 46-foot-high waves Crashing over the seawall and into the plant and over the plant in Fukushima. And it, and it wiped out all their generators too. And then what happened a few days later is eventually the, the heat buildup in the nuclear plants. It, it caused Explosions a result was three nuclear meltdowns, three hydrogen explosions, and the release of, of radioactive contamination. According to one article, it says, In the days after the accident, uh, radiation released into the atmosphere forced the government to declare an ever-larger evacuation zone around the plant. It culminated in an evacuation zone with a, a 20-mile radius. All told, 154 residents evacuated from the communities surrounding the plant due to the rising uh, off-site levels of, of radiation. And it's estimated the cleanup will take 30 to 40 years. And in order for the residents in that area to survive, which most of them did, they had to flee. They had to flee, not get anywhere near. They had a 20-mile radius from where the reaction happened. They had to flee and never come back. Don't go near it. Don't come back. And the problem is some people had actually problems because they thought they could go back and get their belongings. And they suffered the consequences. But those who immediately fled were safe. And so Paul gives this kind of urgency as he's he's commanding them. He's he's telling them, flee idolatry. And for us today, we have to think of it that way. It's like radioactive waste. Let's not get anywhere near it. But I don't know about you. I, I can often grow comfortable. Because idolatry is all around us, isn't it? Idolatry is in the world all around us. The world worships things and possessions. It it, it worships money, it worships influence, it worships power and control to get a sense of satisfaction and peace and hope and comfort, to feel like they belong. How about you? Where, where do you see idolatry all around you? Have you become complacent with it? Are you fleeing it? Right before the passage, it says that no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man, but, but God is faithful, he will... Provide a way of escape so that you can bear up under it, so you can endure it. But, but Paul, after telling them that, wants to make sure they don't become complacent. Don't think because God is faithful, he'll enable you to escape idolatry, that you can just hang out with it. You know, don't act like if you're married, it's okay to go and hang out with other people. You know, I, I'm... I'm married to, to Julie, but, but she wouldn't be good with me going on dates with other women, and understandably so. Ladies, if your husband is going out with other men, that's not okay. With other women or men, that's not okay. <laughs> Either way. We can become complacent and hang out with idolatry. It's just a revolting throw as hanging out with people that we're not married to, as if we're married. In the Roman culture, they were okay adding Jesus to the pantheon of their gods, as long as it wasn't an exclusive claim. And Paul says, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what Christ is about. He makes an exclusive claim. He makes an exclusive claim on us. And actually, when we join together with Christ, we are joined together in a way that we are communing with Christ. They wanted to appease all the other gods and have success. And and Paul says, no, Christians can have nothing to do with that. And so he says, I want you to think through the implications. I want you to think through the logic here. And I'm going to use an illustration. Paul says, I'm going to use this illustration of communion. Communion. You know, they, they, they thought that the rituals that they went through, that communion had protected them from idolatry, and he says, well, it, you know, we, we, we saw last week that, that just mere ritual doesn't protect us from idolatry. No, we still have to flee it, as he's telling us in this passage. But then he goes back to the whole illustration of communion because he wants us to see that it has a deep meaning. In verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cup of communion, the cup that when Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, I don't know if it was the third cup of Passover or the fourth cup of Passover, but it was the moment in the Passover meal when they take the cup and they bless the cup, they give thanks to God for his provision of the Passover lamb. And so Jesus lifts this cup and he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to drink of this, I want you to take this into yourself. I want this to be like food and drink for you. I want this to be sustenance for you. And Paul says, this, this cup of the blessing that we bless, he says, it's not just symbolic. It's not symbolic. Now, it is symbolic, but it's far more than that. He says, it is a, it's a spiritual participation in the blood of Christ. And sometimes, you know, when we go through uh, communion, we, we only do it once a month right now because we don't want it to become too mundane because if sometimes you take it week after week after week, it can become something mundane for you. But then we don't want to do it any less frequently at a month because it's, it's important for us to be continually reminding ourselves of where our hope, where our confidence lies. We need regular reminders, and also we need to regularly, by faith, participate. And so he says it's a participation It's the same word that we see all throughout the New Testament it talks about fellowship. It's a fellowship. It's a sharing. It's a partnership in the blood of Christ. He says this cup of blessing that we bless... Isn't it a participation in the blood of Christ? When you are drinking communion, the the, the, the vine, the fruit of the vine, whether that's grape juice or wine, when when you're drinking that, it's a participation in the blood of Christ. It's not merely symbolic, it's far more than that. It's we, by faith, are joining ourselves into the blood of Christ. When Christ shed his blood for us, we're participating in that by faith. We're sharing in that. We're sharing in all the blessings that his blood shed for us brings to us. It's a participation in the blood. It's participating in his blood to share in his blood, to share in his death, the, the blood of Christ that, that flowed in his crucifixion, that the blood of Christ that was shed when he was whipped for us. We're saying that, that by faith when we drink this, this juice, And we're saying that that's not only what we deserve, but that's what he took on himself for us. That's what he gave for us. It required the giving of Christ's blood for our sins to be paid for. The blood of Christ was the, the price that he paid for our ransom by bleeding for us, by offering up his life for us. And it's not just that we're remembering that, we're actually, by faith, participating in that. By faith, we're participating, putting our hope in the fact that his blood was for us. That's what we're doing. And Paul says, when you do that, you're joining, you're having fellowship with the very blood of Christ. You're having fellowship with Christ himself. You are placing yourself as if you have died and now you live in Christ. You are spiritually a part of that when you participate in communion. And then he gives another example. He says that participating in the blood is, is just like when the people of Israel, they participated in the sacrifice. They would slaughter animals, uh, different animals for different types of offenses and for different times of the year. They would slaughter an animal. They, they would bring it to the, a piece of it to the priest. The priest would eat part of it. They would take the other part of it and they would sacrifice it on the altar. And then the priest would take the blood of that animal and they would go into the holy of holies and they would sprinkle that on, on the altar where God's presence was and the blood was providing atonement for their sins the blood was was providing a way that they can come near to god the blood was was signifying that that the blood of those animals covered over their sins he says when the Israelites came in that way, they by faith were participating in that. And so it was, they actually were receiving forgiveness when, when the priests would go into the altar and spread the blood, they would receive forgiveness and God would mediate forgiveness to them in that sacrifice. They were participating at the altar with that priest even though they couldn't go into the holy holies. Um, we couldn't do what Christ has done and yet we're participating with him. His blood has covered our sins. His blood has paid the price. His blood has made atonement once and forever, never to die again. And he says, just like the Israelites did that, we participate in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. We get all the, the benefits are mediated to us and by faith. But Paul also talks about the bread that we break. Look down your Bible. He says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body? We're not just eating, is what he's saying. We're not just drinking juice, we're not just eating bread. We are participating. That's that word again. That means fellowship or a sharing, a partnership. We are partnering. We are sharing the body of Jesus himself. Now, we don't, we don't believe that somehow mystically the, that the juice becomes blood or somehow mystically that, that the bread becomes flesh. No. But we do believe that as we eat this bread and as we drink the juice, we are joined to Christ in a way that's inseparable. We become part of him. We consume him. We take him into us by faith. We participate in his humanness when we break the bread and eat the bread. We participate in the fact that he lived a sinless life in our place, and we are putting our faith in that fact. We participate in his sufferings. We participate in him sharing in our grief and him carrying our sorrows, him carrying our pain and hurt. We participate in the fact that he was tempted and yet never gave in. We participate in his body being torn for us. Given to share, for us to share together, share in its benefits and provisions. And we don't do that alone because look down at verse 17. He says, he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. So we're not just sharing with him, we're sharing with everybody around you who's a believer. At the end of the service today, we're gonna, we're gonna take the bread, we're going to eat it. And when we do, I'm going to have you look around because I want you to see that you're not alone. You are a part of a body. And, and somehow, by faith, when you are consuming the bread, we are being joined together, not just with Christ on a, horizontal, on a vertical relationship, we're being joined together with his body in a vertical relationship. I'm sorry, horizontal, vertical? I got the two backwards. I think you knew what I meant. Not just joined with Christ, we're joined with his body here, tangibly. When we share a meal, we're participating together and we're joined together and those bonds are meant to be strengthened. You're not, you know, don't take communion and just look down to yourself and don't look around at other people. I'd encourage you when you take communion, look around, see there's other people around you doing the same thing. Because we're participating together in one body. Why? Because we all have our faith in him. We're all partaking of one bread, of one, one body. When the priest he says in verse 18, when they people of Israel, they, they ate the sacrifices. They participated in that sacrifice. The priest ate. God, in a sense, ate as he burned up the sacrifice. Now, he doesn't eat food, but he burned up the sacrifice. He consumed it, and then the people would, would eat the rest, and they all together would participate in this, this sacrifice, and an exchange would take place at the altar that they were a part of. Just like for us, Paul is saying, an exchange takes place. Every time we participate in communion, we have this communion meal, an exchange is taking place. Like how John Piper references it, he says on the altar, God removes guilt and forgives sin and makes peace and establishes a fellowship of thanksgiving and love. So to be a sharer in the altar is to share in all those things that God's doing at the altar. And you can't eat idol food, Paul's saying, as if you're a detached observer. Because why? Because we are united with Christ through communion. We share, in a communion meal, we share. So he's saying, when you share a meal with pagans that is sacrificed to an idol, you're sharing what's behind that as well, even though you might not know it. It's dangerous. And so he tells them to flee idolatry because it's it's like sharing communion with demons. Is that serious. Flee idolatry because it's like sharing communion with demons. Sharing in practices that the pagans practice, sharing in practices the pagans look to to give them hope, and then you sharing in those things as if that will give you hope and satisfaction and comfort. Don't be deceived. It's like sharing with demons. It's like participating together with demons. It's like communion with demons is what he's saying. And if you go to a sing-along at the Mormon Tabernacle Choir where they are praying to false gods, maybe equivalent today in one sense directly, it wouldn't be benign. Participating in an interfaith prayer where they're praying to Allah or praying to Baha'i or some other false god alongside Christianity, that's not Benign. You can't go to a worldly party dedicated to Bacchus or, and, it, and not mean anything to you. It'd be like eating in the house of another woman who's not your wife or another man who's not your husband. It, 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 in saying it doesn't mean anything, it does. It builds bonds and connections. And it communicates unfaithfulness. And so Paul says, I'm not saying that, that actual idols are really anything or that food offered to idols is really anything, but what he's saying is that when you participate in, in worshiping and in sacrificing to your idols or to the pagans' idols, it's like offering sacrifices to demons and not to God. Christian, are, are you entertaining idolatry in your life? Are you comfortable with it? do you give up certain things to get things from your idols? You know, do you act a certain way around people because you want to get acceptance? That's sacrificing to idolatry. Maybe a silly one is something silly, these meaningless practices. Maybe it's something like, I don't know, wearing certain socks before every baseball game because you think that somehow that's going to give you good luck. Well, that's That's a very minor form of idolatry, but but Paul is is using that idea to show us that that whenever we sacrifice or are okay with giving up sacrifices to get hope or peace or comfort or satisfaction or fulfillment, it's like we're sacrificing to demons. They were going to real sacrifices for idols, but we do the same thing. When we give up time with God to go towards entertainment because we think that'll make us happy when we give up um, communion with God to follow after any other thing. And he says in verse 21, you can't do that. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. When you sacrifice, when you eat at the table of God by faith, you can't go and then say, I'm going to eat of these idolatrous practices and be unaffected. It says it's like you're eating at the table of demons and those things are so incompatible. Could you imagine actually going and eating at God's table then going right over and eating at the table with the devil? The two are completely incompatible and Paul says that's what it's like when you participate together in idolatry. You can't entertain idols and have them as your Lord while claiming Christ as your Lord. To have fellowship with Christ and yet have fellowship with idols is just as bad as seeking fellowship with demons. Don't be complacent. Don't think it's not a big deal. Do whatever it takes to get rid of those things, to flee them. And then verse 22, he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Meaning we belong to him. We're his beloved. We are married to God. Well, we can provoke him to jealousy. Or do we think we're stronger? You know, you wouldn't pick a fight with somebody who is stronger than you, typically, if you're smart at least. You're not going to go in and look for the biggest person in the room to pick a fight with unless you think you can take them. And Paul says, You know, you're, you're provoking to God with jeal- to, to jealousy. And it's, what do you think? You're stronger than God? You think he doesn't care? You think it won't have any repercussions? This is the Almighty. He says, Don't tangle it with him that way. He says, Are we stronger with him? Don't provoke him to jealousy. We talked last week about how idolatry is really anything that we turn to other than God for comfort, for fulfillment, for hope, for security, for safety, anything we trust in other than God to get what we think we need. How about you? What do you you turn to? Where are you sacrificing and eating at the table, figuratively, of demons? For me, this is really provoking. I was thinking through, what are the things that make my soul dull to God? What are the things that just kind of draw me away from the things of the Lord? What are the things that where I'm, I'm looking to for comfort and satisfaction or hope or safety or security, fulfillment? And I got to get ruthless with them. Not because somehow we earn favor before God for those things, but because God wants us to experience all the goodness of, of communion with Him. You know, some people look to to shopping or having things. Some people look to entertainment or sports or watching sports or other people's opinions or or money, control or safety, stability. Some people look to drugs and alcohol. Some try to escape. Some people look to physical gratification. What are things you look to? Don't entertain them. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't sit down at the table and sacrifice. Don't participate together. The Corinthians, they were underestimating the danger of feasting in honor of an idol. Don't, and they were also overestimating their ability to resist, by the way. And so Paul says flee and don't don't overestimate your ability to flee. Don't go anywhere near that table. But you know what else they were doing? They were underestimating their communion with Christ. They were underestimating their union with him. It's Paul's letting them know, hey, it's serious when you participate together in a meal, when you share. It's, it's serious. Just like when you share in a meal there with idols, it's serious. Just so is it serious when you share and commune, too. So as, as we're getting ready to enjoy communion together, I want you to think through, Lord, are there any idols where I'm looking to for hope, for security, for comfort, for peace, for satisfaction? confess those to him as we, as we eat the bread and say, no, God, what I need is you. What I need is your body broken for me. And thank you, God, that you took the punishment that, that I deserve for looking after all those things. You already took the punishment on yourself to, for looking to those things for hope and satisfaction, those things of the flesh that I look to, God, you took in your own flesh, your, your flesh was broken so that I am not gonna be punished for those things. and then cultivate an awareness of our deep connection and fellowship with Christ, that as we consume the bread, we are spiritually saying we are united with Christ. Our our physical bodies, we will actually one day be resurrected because of that union with Christ. And so when we eat, we are by faith placing our hope in, in the resurrection life of Christ that we now eat. Paul calls them his beloved because they were beloved by God. Um, If you have your cups, if you go ahead and take those out and go and open up the top of them since they're so hard to open up. (laughs) We get to participate together in communion and drinking the cup and eating the bread. So I want you to take this little wafer of bread out. Hopefully soon we'll get to go back to real bread. Um, and sharing that for now we are doing this so we don't spread germs. But what we're doing is, is we are holding what is a participation in the, in the body of Christ. And it's participation in him, in his body, in all that it means for us. And it's also participation with everybody around you. So, so hold the bread up and I want you to look around for a second. Look around at everybody around you holding this bread up. And I want you to actually hold the bread up And then look around, for real. Because I want you to see what we place our hope and our faith in. We place our hope and our faith in the body of Christ broken for us. So let's take this together. Jesus, we thank you that your flesh was torn for us, that you were punished in our place. We take that on afresh. Lord, we participate together with the fact that you carried our sorrows, you bore our shame, you took our suffering, that you endured every kind of temptation and yet did not sin. And so as we consume this bread, we're saying we're putting our faith in your ability to not sin, in your ability to say no to temptation, that we're consuming your strength, Lord, your eternal life as we eat the bread. That's what our hope is in. God, thank you that we're also saying that we are a part of the body of Christ, that we have not been left alone, but we've been united with each and every other believer here by faith. Jesus, thank you for this participation in your body. In your name we pray, amen. We'll go ahead and take your the second foil there and rip it open if you can. We are participating in the blood of of Christ that was shed for us. Not just symbolically, but somehow by faith, something happens where we're renewed by his blood, where our sins, we're appropriating the forgiveness of sins when we drink this juice. We're appropriating the forgiveness of sins anew. We're saying that we are drinking of the covenant, that we are participating in the covenant of his blood, that sins are washed away. By faith, his blood is flowing in us and empowering us. So let's drink this juice together. Go to ask the band to come up and, and we'll pray together. Father God, thank you that you provided a way that we can be made new by your life-giving blood. Lord, by faith we participate together in your blood, in the blood of Christ. By faith, we place our lives in yours. By faith, we receive your new life in place of ours. By faith, we are intermingled with Christ. By faith, we are resurrected with Christ's new resurrection body and resurrection life. And, and Father, we say that our hope is in Christ. Our faith is in Christ. Our trust is in Christ. Help us forsake any other hope. Enable us to see those areas where we've been hoping in false hopes, participating in idolatry. Enable us to flee that as we see that we are beloved by you and we participate, we have a union with Christ in his body. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.